You're listening to KNON 89.3 FM in Dallas and Fort Worth, the voice of the people. Good afternoon. It's 1 o'clock in the Central Time Zone. My name is Leslie McMurray, and this is Lambda Weekly. My guests this week are David Taffet and Patty Fink. Lerone Landis is on vacation, or he's doing whatever it is he's doing today. His daughter has a dance recital. Oh, well, I'm glad he's there instead of here, because if I was his daughter, I'd be disappointed. So uh, I thought, I had an idea a while back, and I, I broached the topic to David, and he was all for it, and that was to interview... Y'all, because <laughs> you interview the guests and whoever happens to be in the studio, but we learn very little about you and where you came from and what you think and all that sort of stuff. So I thought that would be a fun idea. David agreed, and here we are. So welcome, David. Welcome, Patty, to Lambda Weekly. Uh, and it's and not we exactly make terrible me. guests, by the way. Yeah. And thanks That's for right. having me. No, of course. Right. <laughs> it's so good to have you. So the first question that I have, just out of my curiosity is how long has Lambda Weekly been on the air? Patty? Since August of 1983. I think the actual date was July 30th. Really? Yeah. So we're a little bit ooched up in front of everybody. <clears throat> July yeah. 30th, 1983. The day the station went on the air. So that makes it a Leo, I guess. <laughs> a Leo. Yeah. 40 years. So who was on the first show? No idea. Well, Bill Nelson... Uh, from Nelson Thibodeau. Uh -huh. Bill Nelson was one of the hosts. Uh -huh. Buck Massey. Buck Massey was one of the hosts. The Bob Buck Massey. Bob Roberts, who's the only one of the trio or quartet that's still alive. And we really should have him on. We should. Yeah, you should. Before it's too late. Uh, what was the issue of the day? What was going on back then? Well, it was 1983. There was the threat of AIDS. Yeah. It's also the same, if it was 1983, uh, that Resource Center sprouted up. Resource Center was brand new. 86. Or no, I guess No, it was 83. 83. Um, yeah. Resource Center celebrating its 40th anniversary this year. Yeah, yeah. not crazy? Yeah. Um, the early 1980s was a time of a lot of activism. Yeah. And there are so many groups that started between 1983 and 1985. Mm -hmm. Cathedral of Hope, uh, Beth Elbana, um, DGLA, Dallas Gay and Lesbian Alliance, I guess, started... In 76. Yeah. 1976. That was the first original group. And that group was in response to Anita Bryant. Yes. The Which is amazing now that... High in the face. Florida <laughs> is that hotbed of... 
kookiness. <laughs> Kooky, anti-queer, everything. Yeah, and it's just gotten worse. Don't say gay, don't say they. Yeah, oh, Lord. So let's talk about you. Uh, David, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Yonkers, New York. Yonkers, New York, huh? Uh-huh. All right. Uh, when, when I go back... This is how I grew up talking, so let's not make fun. Yeah, you've made progress. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. You still have connections and family there? Uh, no family, but... And, and actually, nobody that I know who actually still lives in Yonkers. Yonkers is a small little city. Uh-huh. It, it's well known because it's so old. It was the second city established in New York. Uh, it's just north of the Bronx. And things like Otis Elevators were, uh, or the elevator was created by Otis yeah. in Yonkers. Uh-huh. Um, and of course it's a plural, uh, so it means more than one Yonker. Yes. <laughs> uh, the, the name Yonkers means, young, uh, it came from the words young hair, young gentleman, uh-huh. and you have one young hair or several Yonkers. Well, there you go. So one of the original houses is still there uh-huh. uh, from the 1600s. Now, did you go straight from there to here, or did you have stops along the way? I had one stop along the way, and that was Atlanta. Okay. You didn't go straight anywhere. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just your journey. How did it get here? Patty, how about you? Um, well, actually, I'm a native Texan, and I, um, I began um, on the, the Texas coast. Mm-hmm. And my family moved then to West Texas, and I lived in Odessa, as we used to call it, Odessalation. You have to or, clarify, because there is a West Texas, but it's not in West Texas. Right, West Texas. And today is the anniversary of that big explosion. Yeah. Oh, um, down 35. Yeah. Um, but I lived in, in you know, north, southeast, west Texas, mm-hmm. uh, really near the right angle of Texas with yeah. New Mexico, um, Odessa. And then um, when I was uh, about 12, we moved to Libya, and I went to school there up through junior high. And that's not Libya, Texas. No. no it's Libya, North Africa. Um, and then I, we lived in Tripoli. Was Dad in the military? No, he worked for an oil company. Okay. There you go. And he was a machinist. And, um, and then the companies, all of the oil companies stopped. They, they put together the school there, which is a pretty tough school. Um, and it finished in ninth grade and by design so that they could send you anywhere in the world you wanted to go for high school mm-hmm. as a perk and a draw, and they would pay for it. Yeah. And so my middle sister and I uh, ended up in Switzerland to, at a Swiss boarding school for three years. And I came back and uh, went to Baylor. Wow. That's quite a journey. It is. It was yeah. hopping around different continents. How did you stuff. find Baylor from Switzerland? <laughs> I mean, um, Well, I was raised in a very, very Southern Baptist family um what the hell happened <laughs> i know <laughs> rebel i got woke yeah. i woke up um well you know it it was interesting because i went to i was the pianist for the first baptist church of tripoli libya wow which we attended on fridays we went to school sunday through thursday and our weekend was friday and saturday and i i highly recommend having your your sunday before your saturday yeah it's really kind of cool. Yeah, I think of uh, Odessa, and when I th- think of it, there's a smell associated with it. Because <laughs> it has that oily kind of... Uh, and if you drive in the right places, you get heavy methane. Yeah. Different, you know, <laughs> different um, 
different aromas in different places. So what brought each of you to Dallas? My first job after college, it was snowing. I was looking for a job. I had my New York Times in hand, and I was just applying for anything and everything. So I was walking around Midtown Manhattan, and I walked into a store called The Custom Shop. The Custom Shop made men's custom-made shirts, Mm -hmm. and they hired me. And I figured, it's snowing. I'll take this. I'll have a day off during the week because we worked Saturdays. I can look for a real job then. Well, they put me into their management training program. I really enjoyed working for the company, and especially in New York, it was a lot of fun. Uh, The store I was working in, Maury Amsterdam, used to come in all the time. Oh, wow. wow. Uh, For people who don't recognize the name, he was in the Dick Van Dyke show. show, Yeah, yeah, Dick Dick Van Van Dyke show, yeah. And he would sit in the back of the store and just make wisecracks like he did. I mean, that personality that comes out on the Dick Van Dyke show, that was him. Um, there were other people who came in. One woman came in. I want to show you a picture of my son. <laughs> and her son was um, Fonzie. Oh, my oh, God. God. Henry Winkler. Henry yeah. Winkler. Uh, and she was talking about what a, what a good boy he is. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Um, So I really, I enjoyed the job. It was a lot of fun. Well, they transferred me for a year and a day. And when I say a year and a day, I mean it. It was June 1st or or June 30th to to the following July 1st that I was in Atlanta. And I did not enjoy Atlanta at all. I was in one of the suburban stores. Yeah. And suburban Atlanta at the time was not fun. Uh, and they transferred me to a bigger store here in Dallas uh, at North Park. Uh-huh. We were two, do- two doors down from Neiman's in North Park. How about oh, that? Wow. And I was there for about five years. Mm-hmm. And how'd you end up uh, at the Dallas Boys? Well, it was a logical sequence of events. Of course it was. From the... Spoken shirts. Managing a shirt store to... <laughs> to... For an LGBTQ paper. Working... Working for the manufacturer, uh-huh. uh, and I was a sales rep for a few years, so I was traveling, and I was using a travel agency in Oak Lawn, and the, the owner of the travel agency was selling, and so my partner at the time and I and a couple of other people pooled our funds and bought the travel agency. We were advertising in the Dallas Voice, which also started, you know, we were talking about early 80s. Mm-hmm. Dallas Voice's 40th anniversary will be uh, May of 1984. Wow. So it's yeah. coming up in a year. But we were advertising, this was late 80s at the time. We were advertising in Dallas Voice, and I was talking to Dennis Vircher, who was the, pub, uh, who was the uh, editor at the time. And do you ever use travel articles? And I became the voice's first columnist. Oh, nice. Wow. How about that? What brought you? It's not a big stretch from Waco to here, but uh, what brought you up this way rather than down towards Houston or back in East Texas or West Texas? Um, well, actually, I left Baylor and went out to um, Odessa again after mm-hmm. I graduated. And I hadn't lived in the States in a long, long time, so I wanted to sort of take a year off after college. 
and I was in the process of applying to medical schools and was doing that and being doing the interviews and all and I was working in a hospital um, out in West Texas um, it used to be called women's and children's so it's like women and children yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I did mostly pediatric stuff and for a time worked for many years in a in a level three neonatal ICU mm -hmm. and um, and then in the middle of that my mom passed away kind of suddenly and so I kind of stopped and dealt with that and got my dad settled yeah. and by then I was the first in the first group of people back then whose MCAT score was only good for two years. <laughs> Prior to that, there was no time limit on it. So mm -hmm. now I suddenly Clock was to, ticking. <laughs> yeah, clock was ticking, so I had to take this test again, and I just was, my head was just not in it. So I ended up hanging out there for way too long, for an, uh, several more years. Um, and then my sis, my oldest sister lived in Dallas, and we were, I mean, it's just kind of perks that we're friends, yeah. that, that we're sisters, because we were really good friends. And I ended up moving to Dallas because she was here and I needed to get out of Odessa. Yeah. So how'd you run into him? Um, I met David at a couple events in the 90s. And then I think when we really had our, our big first conversation, I was a guest on Lambda Weekly in 2000. And I came on the show to talk about the Millennial March in Washington that was taking place yeah. that year. Which, by the way... When I actually attended, I got on the plane, and my seatmate was Tammy Nash. <laughs> oh, what a coincidence. Editor of the Dallas Voice. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And so that kind of launched into this. And then they asked me to, Laurent and David asked me to come on yeah. as a, as a co-host. Now, Laurent had only been a co-host for about six months at that point. Mm -hmm. The way we got him was I just made an announcement on the air, hey, we're looking for a co-host or two. Uh, if you're interested, contact. I forgot how, but he contacted. Laurent came into the studio, and at the time we used to play a lot of music. Yeah, and we had um, two hours. And we had two hours, right? Uh, but uh, he came into the studio. It was just him and me. He sat down where you're sitting, and we just started talking. We just hit it off. Yeah. He's great. I love him, and I'm sorry he's not here today because we'd like to uh, get to know more about Laurent as well. And, and I'll just note, he has a film and, film and radio degree from UNT. Right. Wow. And, and had been working at another radio station as their sportscaster. Sure. <laughs> so let's go back to childhood. What did you want to be when you grew up in, in Yonkers? What, what, what did the young David Taffet look at and say, I want to be that? Do you know, it's funny. I wanted to be two things. I wanted to be a writer, and I wanted to be a talk show host. Well, you're those things. And you're those things. And I am those things. Um, the writer, a friend of mine and I used to write novels together. Our first novel was called The Intricacies and Excitement of Water Fluoridation. <laughs> That sounds kind of like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, it does. It, it, it does. The potential's huge. Yeah. And it was about absolutely nothing. Yeah. It's a novel about nothing. Mm -hmm. Kind of like Seinfeld. Well, congratulations. But, but as far as wanting to be a talk show host, I remember my parents had just finished our basement. And they must have redecorated also because there were extra drapes and curtain rods around. And... So I put up a curtain rod in the main part of the finished basement, about one-third of the uh, 
of the floor space and set up chairs because there were all the living room furniture was there. So instead of sitting, uh, you know, where you could sit and talk, everybody was facing this new stage that I had just built. <laughs> and I used to love watching the Merv Griffin show. Yeah. Merv Griffin, it must have been a syndicated show. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, and he was a talk show host uh, who was on in prime time. Yeah, there was a, a Seinfeld episode about that where Kramer found this set for the Merv Griffin show in the dumpster and recreated it in his apartment. It sounds right, a lot right, like right, what right. you did. So we created this little talk show set, and we'd have parties, and we'd entertain and I just always wanted to be a talk show. The other thing was my grandfather's imitation of Merv Griffin. I remember one time we had gotten <laughs> him a... Now, he, he was a blue suit type person. So we had gotten him, this is the 1960s, a bright plaid, big lapel, <laughs> sports coat. And he must have been about 90 at the time. And he uh, said, uh, uh, what are you getting me? What are you getting me? Uh, so, let's just try it on, Pop. So he tried it on, walks out of the, from behind the curtain and goes, opens the coat and goes, Maeve Griffin. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, I just remember watching the show with him. That's so funny. And that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. Well, congratulations. It, You're there. It looked like it would be fun. <laughs> Little did I know I'd have Patty and Laurent. Yeah, uh, right. boy. So what was your uh, dream as a kid? Oh. Um, I, I had several different wines. I didn't really gel until I got older. Uh -huh. um, but I, at times I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be a lawyer. wanted to be a doctor. Um, I never knew that you wanted to be a doctor. I mean, I knew that you're in the medical field now. I've been in healthcare my entire career. Wow. But I never knew you wanted to be a doctor. Yeah, Fr was... frightening for your patients. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's interesting? I when I was in college, um, so I, I went to a high school where I took um, AP courses mm -hmm. my entire senior year and quite a few in my junior year in Switzerland. In Switzerland, yeah. and so by the time I got to Baylor, they had accepted me when in my junior year in high school. So I got an early acceptance, and they gave me 31 hours of credit. So I was never a freshman at Baylor, but I did go for four years. Mm -hmm. So I was, you know, very, uh, uh, very sort of afraid of doing geology. I thought it would be horrible. I kept putting it off. So in going into my senior year, it's the only four hours I needed was geology. And I took a lot of other things. I took straight-up philosophy, which they don't teach in colleges anymore. Right. Today, it's philosophy of medicine, philosophy of law, philosophy of... Knowledge, philosophy yeah. of language. Yeah. It's not really, you know, all the great thinkers kind of thing. Critical thinking. Um, yeah, all of that. And I took some of that, and I took a class in gerontology, which uh, I was sort of... I knew from working in a hospital during summers and breaks and stuff that um, I really preferred working with kids... And I was kind of scared of old people. Like, I was uncomfortable dealing with old... And then I've got to get over this. So mm -hmm. face my fear head on. I took a class in gerontology. Loved it. It was one of the most fascinating classes. And then when I finally did take my, ge my geology class, it was like the best freaking class I've ever had. It was so fun. It was so interesting. And it was not this big, scary thing I thought it was going to be. I was like, oh, it's rocks. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you well, know... 
in college, and we actually need to take a break. In college, I didn't have I didn't have requirements. Let's talk about that afterwards. But some of the most bizarre classes that I took were the best classes. You're listening to Lambda Weekly on eighty nine point three KNON FM. I'm not Leslie McMurray. She's the host today. Uh, we'll be back with more right after this. This is Alex Hanselka, and you're listening to Lambda Weekly on eighty nine point three KNON FM, Dallas. Welcome back to Lambda Weekly. My name is Leslie McMurray. My guests this week are David Taffet and Patty Fink. We're so glad to have you. And I think we've gotten through <coughs> high school, uh, and, and this may be before then, but I wanted to talk about when did you come to grips with being LGBT? I don't know that I was ever not at grips with it. Um, in high school, we weren't out in the 1960s and 70s. Mm-hmm. But all my friends for that. But all my friends from high school Mm -hmm. came out in college, so I guess I came out when I was in college. Mm -hmm. Um, But I never had to come to grips with anything. Were your parents in the camp of well, of course you are? Do you know my mother is the one who told me that I was gay? She worked (laughs) at Sarah Lawrence College, which is big lesbian college. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh, Sarah Lawrence is in Yonkers. Uh, and she had students who were um, who were gay, lesbian, and the wife of a transgender person. Wow! Uh, do you remember Renee Richards, oh, the yeah. tennis, tennis player? player? Renee Richards. That's Doctor Renee Richards to you, right? Doctor Renee Richards was a yeah. uh, was a dentist. Yeah. Uh-huh. In our area, and his wife ended up as one of my mother's students. And I remember we were talking... Her wife, yeah. Her Her wife. Oh, her wife, yes. Um, Ended up as one of my mother's students. And uh, I remember I was having a conversation with my mother one night, and I must have been in college at the time, because I'm trying to think when she taught at Sarah Lawrence. Um, And she just said, she was talking about a variety of her students, and she said, you know, you just have to do what makes you happy. Yeah. Fair enough. So I had nothing... No trauma, no anything I had like no that. trauma. I had no problem so, with it. So she didn't take you out to see a drag queen, and that turned you gay? No. Okay, so that's not what happened. <laughs> that's not how it works. <laughs> yeah, contrary to what you hear. In case you didn't know. Austin. Yeah, yeah. Pretty well aware of that. So, Patty, how about you? Um, well, I've always known mm-hmm. from from a very early age that I was gay, that I was different. Yeah, um, that's how I felt too. It's just different. Yeah, know? like I didn't fit in, and I, you know, I was see, different. okay, I never felt that I was different. I thought everybody else was. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> very I thought, insightful. I thought I was the normal one, and, and where where yeah. are the, all the other gay people who are like me? Right. So, but I, I sensed that sense of difference mm-hmm. pretty much all the way through. And then, um, and, and I grew up in a very, again, a very Southern Baptist family. Yeah. And we attended church very, very regularly and um, in a fairly strict home, you know, all the things. And I, I had heard all of the, you know, hellfire and damnation that comes from the pulpit. Yet it didn't work. It didn't work. Um, and then... So I guess maybe... Being gay or lesbian or anywhere along the LGBTQ group has more to do with 
what's inside than whatever indoctrination is external. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. what a concept. Imagine that. Yeah. So I remember in, in Libya, <clears throat> there was one point, I think I might have been in like eighth grade, where there was um, a dance that was coming up, and I didn't have a date. And um, I felt I felt really sort of uh, self-ostracizing about not having a date. And I remember I was very upset about it, and my mom came in to talk to me about it, and I expressed then, I said, I'm, I'm afraid I might be homosexual. And, well, she was having none of that, you know, the, even the discussion of it. And so that shut down. So I knew where that was going to go if I ever came out in mm -hmm. my family. Uh, so I was more or less out to myself uh, sort of secretly Yeah. Um, until I went into college. And then I began to meet people who were, who were gay. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't come out until right after college. I ended up coming yeah. out then. And I've been pretty much out since. Wow. So Now, if you were to have a high school reunion, would you go back to Switzerland? Or do they have yeah. those? Oh, I've been. Oh, that's I awesome. Went in, I went in 2000, and the school was founded in 1960. So I, was, I graduated in 1980. So it's always kind of a big anniversary when yeah. we have it. And all the classes are invited, which is really pretty cool because yeah. you, we knew people ahead of us and behind us, and we lived together. So yeah. we knew lots and lots of people. Closer than ordinarily would be in high school. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, we did laundry and together. Class. I mean, there was like a 1,000 people in my high school class. Right, right. Well, I had 55 in, in mine. Yeah. And we had day students yeah. as well. So, um so, yeah, I went back, and in 2000, I remember we went out to dinner and drinks and stuff, and I came out to them, and they all look at me and say, well, tell us something we didn't know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, came out to some of my old <laughs> teachers who were attending the events. and Aww. um So it was, it was really, really quite nice. And then I learned about some other people, in, not in my class, but in, in a classes behind me who yeah. had come out as well. So it was really kind of a... A, a joyous thing to yeah, me for sure um i wanted to ask this because for me you know i've got a bunch of little odd things that i was you know done through my life but uh and and you kind of answered the question earlier because <laughs> i would suppose it would be playing the piano <laughs> for a uh, church in libya <laughs> <laughs> That's out there. Uh, but what is something nobody would guess about you? And that pretty much would be it. Uh, for me, I drove in a sanctioned demolition derby at the Astrodome years and years ago. Wow. Yeah, I wow. didn't like it. It wasn't fun. <laughs> Not something I'd want to do again. But No monster trucks in your future? No monster trucks. But they. what's weird is with those uh, cars, they take all the window glass out of it. So there's no windshield, no side glass. And then they take the gas tank and they put it right behind the driver's seat. Which That's really made smart. me really nervous, but also you don't want it back where you're getting rear-ended all the time because that would, you know, fire is like my biggest fear. So you're strapped into this stupid, like, 1970s tank, and uh, it's like being in, like, 50 car accidents in one day. It's like that. Not fun. Wow. David? Um, you know, I've done so many things that I've talked about on the air, but okay, uh, I was on the board of Resource Center, and uh, in the late 90s, the big thing to raise money for AIDS organizations were long bike rides. So we, have, we brought in this California group who put on the first 
Tangeray Texas AIDS ride, which went from Austin to Houston to Dallas. Wow. It was a seven-day ride. So, uh, you know, several hundred people rode it, and I'm saying several hundred. I think it was closer to a thousand. Yeah. Well, uh, they kept saying, David, are you going to do this? And I said, you know, I just don't have the seven days to take off. If, if it was a shorter ride, I'd be able to do it. So they did the long ride, and then the next year they did a short ride from just Houston to Dallas. So I said, you yeah, know, me and my big mouth. So here I am in the Houston Astrodome thinking, what the hmm, did I get myself into here? But I did the four-day ride from Houston to Dallas awesome. on my bike. Yeah, I've and done the MS-150 three or four times from Houston to Austin, which is a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. There's 10,000 people that ride in that. Right. It's nuts. And David at the time, I know in the late 90s, early 2000s, was dying his hair. Mm -hmm. So he would okay, be seriously so purple or red. That was, <laughs> that was for a, um, one of the rides. Everybody, or six of us, decided we'd each dye our hair a certain color. My color was purple. Uh, and uh, we did it for a picture. So the first night, everybody, the six of us got together, and everybody's taking pictures of the six of us with our rainbow-colored hair. And the next morning, everybody got up, and the other five people had normal hair color, and I'm still purple. Because, <laughs> you know, it, and gray said, soaks it up. Well, I said, <laughs> what happened to your hair? They said, well, we washed it out. I said, mine doesn't wash out. I went to the guy who cuts my hair. He bleached my hair, dyed it purple, and I'm this color until it grows yeah, out. wow. And so for like two to three months... I had purple hair. And, of course, Dave will be posting that to the Lambda Weekly Facebook site, I'm sure, uh, over the next week. I so think we to dig out that. some photos. Yeah, I, you should. I'm sure they're out can, there somewhere. Yeah. Is, is there anything besides <laughs> playing the piano for the, that church in Libya that is something that people meeting you would not guess? Um, I don't know. That was, that was kind of a big one. It was interesting because I then later uh, was playing since I was five and and then went to um, to Switzerland, and I, I was accepted there at the Conservatory of Music of, of Geneva mm -hmm. and went there for three years. And every every jury, uh, you had to pass your jury or you're out. Yeah. And it was a, a judges, and we had um, a series of things we had to memorize and perform. Uh, like There'd be like ten pieces on the list, and you would be asked probably five of them. You didn't know which ones were coming. Yeah. And then you'd have to do scales. And then they had this moment where you had to sight read. And they put the piece in front of you. You had one <clears throat> minute to look at it before you had to start playing. You had to play it all the way through. Wow. And I would just ace that because I was doing – I was sight reading all the time. I would We didn't have any phones in Libya, so I would never knew what the music was going to be on Friday until uh -huh. we got there. And I could look at the, the program and yeah. see, oh, we're going to do these hymns and whatever. So I never knew. So I just wing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it turned out to be a skill. And many of the other students who were waiting out in the hallway would, would hear me and they would, I would hear them say in French, I was like, oh, that's that American. Uh -huh. You know, and because okay. they failed the sight reading all yeah. the time. So. Okay, so I took piano lessons for uh -huh. two years. I quickly got up to Furlis. And I was terrible at the piano. I was just awful. For the two years, all he would have me play is for Elise until I got it right. <laughs> and I could never get it right. I was terrible on the piano. 
That must have been joy for everyone around you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know how my mother stood even listening to me taking those damn piano lessons. Aww. The way I got out of it, uh, our synagogue was giving art lessons, and I said, please, let me do that instead, because, you know, Westchester County, you had to have some enrichment activity. So I said, please, please, please let me do that, and I started painting. And I took uh, painting lessons for seven years. Oh, my. Do you wow. still paint? I don't. Oh. No happy I know. little trees? Happy trees? Like Bob Ross, happy trees? Yeah. Uh, no happy trees. Oh. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit. And, you know, we're all in this room advocates in some way, shape, or another. Um, and it's often said that we stand on the shoulders of giants. Whose shoulders do you stand on, Patty? My, um, an early mentor for me, and I just adore her um, and, and honor her in any way I can, is Louise Young. And if you're listening, Louise, I, I do adore you, and you've been such a great mentor to me over the years. Uh, and I would, I would say uh, she's been a very important mentor. That's wonderful. David? Do you know, everybody always says... Um, it's so great that kids now have people that they can look up to, mm -hmm. as if we didn't. When I was in college, there were two professors. One of them was uh, a French professor that I had, uh, and he became chairman of the uh, not fine arts. I don't know. Uh, he became one of the deans of the right. school. Mm -hmm. Um, so he was one person I looked up to. He uh, was in his 40s at the time. Mm -hmm. Another one was Joe Norton. Joe was a character. He came out late in life, so he was probably in his 50s or 60s when he came out. And one of the things he did was he bought an old brownstone in downtown Albany. I went to SUNY Albany, State University of New York. Um and he bought an old brownstone in New York, and we turned it into the Gay and Lesbian Community Center. I guess it was called the Gay, Le uh, the gay Community Center at the time. Because the L's were, at, you know, yeah. people, we'd, women had to fight to get the L in. Yeah. You know, and then they gave them hell. Gave them hell, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, but that became the first uh, gay and lesbian community center in the country. Uh, they have more property, but that building that, you know, I remember working on rebuilding the stairs uh, because it was an old, 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 and when I say old, the building dates from the middle 1800s, uh, right near the Capitol, but it's, uh, it was the first gay and lesbian community center in the country. So who do I, whose shoulders do I stand on? My professors, who were great role models. That's wonderful. Yeah, because we definitely all need people that you can look to. Because uh, when I was a little kid growing up, there wasn't. Um, it was before Renee Richards. And Christine Jorgensen had transitioned in 1952, which was about six years before I was born. But there, I, I didn't have things like, you know, a cell phone that I could look up and say, why do I feel like the way I do? There just weren't transgender role models that I could look to anywhere. So, or resources of any kind. Yeah, they're just, they weren't. And so <laughs> for me, access to information when I was like five and thinking I'm really weird and I'm really <laughs> different uh, meant a trip to the library, but I didn't even know where to start. And 
so yeah it, it really is important for people to be able to it's kind of that old if you can see it you can be it and one of the mm -hmm. images that really sticks in my mind was the celebration in Delaware when Joe Biden was elected to see Kamala Harris on this stage and see little black girls in the audience that are looking and saying she looks like I do maybe that can happen for me mm -hmm. and that was just this huge huge moment so those kind of things I think are really really important because of what I do a lot of people only know me as a transgender woman I do a training that's like her she's transgender she works for the resource center and she's here to teach you this and this but being transgender is really a relatively minor part of my life on the day-to-day -day. it's part of what I am but it's a small part and I'm sure it's the same for each of you if people just look at you as a gay man or a lesbian and they don't go any further they're missing out so what makes you you away from the glare of the media and aside from what you do who is David Taffet I do gay all the time yeah, you're full-time gay I'm gay for pay mostly I mean I live yeah. in Oak Lawn I work for the gay paper I do uh gay radio on Sundays. I'm not asking you to not be gay. I'm just, you know, aside from... You know, okay, so this is one of those questions that uh, I'll have an answer for you tomorrow. Yeah. I don't have a good answer for that. Well, I, I maybe can prompt a little bit, because for me, yes, I'm transgender, but I am a wife to Katie. That has nothing to do with gender identity. It has to do with who I love. I'm a dog person. Uh, I tolerate Katie's cat, but I'm really more of a dog person. The cat okay, so as much say. as I'm out, and my mother is the one who told me, basically, it's okay to be whoever you are, I never came out to my family. So when I was getting married, my cousins were, were there for the wedding. My aunt, who's, who just turned 96... Uh, she was, I guess, 89 at the time. Oh, this is the one at AT&T? When you got married to Brian? Oh, at, at uh, yeah, at, at the... Um, yeah, the Performing Arts Center. The Performing Arts Center. With Turtle Creek. Uh, at a Turtle Creek Chorale concert. Yeah. But, uh, so my family, their flight was running late, so they came in, like, just as everything was about to start. And I gave everybody a hug, and I said... By the way, I don't think I've ever told you, but I'm gay. <laughs> <laughs> if they didn't know before. They said, David, we grew up with you. Yeah. So. <laughs> wow. I had sort of that experience with my cousin. My, my cousin, Kathy, is about my age, and her dad is actually my cousin. Mm -hmm. He's in his 80s. Um, but we grew up together. She's my second cousin. And so my aunt was her grandmother. And she's, she's gay, and I officiated at her wedding with her wife, Connie, in San Francisco in 2014. And one of the things I mentioned during the ceremony was that um, growing up with her, I knew that, I, I said, I, I knew that we were different in the same way. Mm -hmm. And it was, so it was really, really special being part of that out there. And for me, the most amazing moment, and I didn't see it coming, I didn't know I was just going to bawl my head off, was when we f went to file the marriage license Yeah, at City Hall, and it was real. Yeah, because so many years you couldn't. You, couldn't. you just couldn't. I thought, the, I cried at the wedding, I was officiating, and, and you know, all of that, and I did not see it coming. In yeah. fact, Connie was in a rental car driving around the block so we could just run in and drop it off, right? Yeah. 
defile it. And I just yeah. teared up in the in that beautiful city hall building in San Francisco, and yeah. it was real. Yeah, about yeah. that, huh? Yeah. We and need, it's uh, something that um, we can't take for granted because it can be taken away. Absolutely, it, it can. absolutely can be taken away. There's not a threat right now today, but it would not surprise me in the least to see marriage equality attacked here and then tested federally. So it's something we have to fight for. It's not something to take for granted. So if marriage equality is something that's important to you, make sure that your elected representatives know it's important to you. We need to take a break. Yeah. You're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON FM, and we'll be back with more right after this. Hi, this is Candy Markham, and I listen to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON FM. Listen. Welcome back to Lambda Weekly. My name is Leslie McMurray. My guests are David Taffet and Patty Fink, and we're diving into a little bit about what makes them tick. Um, we were talking just a second ago off air about your biology teacher uh, being one of those people on whose shoulders you stand. Yes, my biology teacher was a, is a, a wonderful woman named Joy Hill. She's a physician by trade. And, and when I was in school in Switzerland, she and her husband, which was very common both in Libya and in Switzerland and all international schools, couples are hired as teachers because it's a lot cheaper to have one household to with two yeah. teachers to pay for them and but she was my biology teacher and then I took AP biology but she was a greater influence than that she was really a, a counselor and a friend and I went we went back to to visit her I went back in 2000 and came out to her and she 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 believed in in a world where in a, in a very spiritual woman very spiritual woman um, that people people die and we come back in another form and we try to get it right mm -hmm. and and we're old souls yeah. that are that are really trying to get it right so when I came out to her she said ah so your challenge is love and I would have to have to make my way for love in a world that was against yeah. against me and I thought that was very insightful and so when I came back from that trip I was it's really stuck with me and then we went in 2010, and I took Erin with me, and we went to visit her up in the mountains. We went took a funicular up where uh -huh. she lived at, on, on the side of a mountain and had high tea. We were very British. It was really lovely. Just that part of it was yeah. was pretty cool. Um, but there there was a, an aspect of, of being with Mrs. Hill that was that has stuck with me to this day, and Erin still laughs about it. I learned all of the terminology I use in healthcare from a Brit. Uh -huh. So I was saying respiratory. <laughs> my favorite was skeletal, you know, the skeletal mm -hmm. system. Circulatory. I mean, all of these words. And and Aaron, I, Aaron would catch me saying something. She goes, what? What did you say? <laughs> and it, it's like it just comes out, right? Yeah. All of these British pronunciations for things. My, Mrs. Hill used to talk about the tortoise. It's oh, a giant yeah. land turtle, yeah, a tortoise, and but but it's not a porpoise. No, <laughs> but so all these words were coming up. And during our conversation with Mrs. Hill, we spent the entire afternoon with with her and her husband, and she was telling we were talking about what had happened to many different people, and there was one we brought up where someone had passed away that we both knew, and I said, oh, I believe she died of of ovarian cancer, and. Mrs. Hill turned to Aaron and said, it was cervical. Oh. 
<laughs> so she got to experience it firsthand. Yeah. And I don't mean to make light of this. Sure. This, this woman who died. But but it was, you know, there it was. It's like, this is what I grew up with. Yeah. yeah. And where did, so, where did you meet Aaron? I met Aaron doing doing National Coming Out Day activism mm-hmm. back in the nineties, and we were friends for many years before we got together as a couple. And we did um, we did lots of National Coming Out Day events, uh-huh. especially at the State Fair of Texas. Was it a, kind of a slow burn, or was it like you're my human? And well, we 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 were good friends, yeah. and I think we, we we certainly clicked as friends. We had a good time. I looked forward to seeing her when I was at events and yeah. and things. And she actually thought I was um, very very like religious mm-hmm. because I had a, was wearing a gold cross. Well, you did have a little history. I did have a little history. And when she she tells the story about when our friend Janice, who introduced us, was telling her about me. She said, oh, and she's very active in her church, and, and et cetera. So Aaron thought that I was a nun, like a nun type, <laughs> until I said the F word Uh-oh. in the course of conversation. And then she's like, no, she's not. No. <laughs> I don't know that, or she's a nun with a potty mouth. <laughs> nun with a potty mouth. So, yeah, so, but she, she was kept dating people, and so I'm not going to yeah. hone in on that. So mm-hmm. when she stopped dating, dating someone, then... Yeah. It was right there. In fact, it was the next day. Wow. We went out for a date. Yeah, so. don't waste time there. Yeah. Okay, I thought of another giant. Okay. I would say Patty, but she's short. Yeah. Well, you can still stand <laughs> on someone's shoulders. It would be easy to get up on our shoulders. Yeah. It would be. Yeah. No, um, when I was in college, we had a speaker. Uh-huh. His name is Dave Copay, and know. he had I just written a book. he is. Yeah, he had just written a book about being the first... A football player to come out. NFL. NFL player to come out. And he came to our school, I guess, because we were one of the few schools that had a gay alliance. I mean, that was a new thing at the time, uh, early 70s. Um, And I remember just spending some time talking to him. And he's the first famous person, the first person that was known nationally that I had ever met. Um, During Gay Bingo uh, here in Dallas, Uh years, years later, he was the guest. Oh, really? He he came to town. And he came to town, and I was uh, volunteering with Gay Bingo at the time, and I got to thank him. Oh, that's wonderful. Which was a nice thing to do. It really Uh, is. I think it's important to go back to our mentors and let them know that you made a difference in my life. Uh-huh. Yeah. And when I say he made a difference, it's not like I was having this terrible time or anything. Yeah. But you need to be able to, like you said, see yourself. hmm Yeah. That's important. Um, where did you meet Brian? Uh, Brian and I met at a, at a uh, demonstration. He was demonstrating You're and I was covering it. I was just covering it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Pam Curry introduced us because uh-huh. she was a neighbor of Brian's at the time, and she introduced us. That's wow. how we met. Which protest was it? Um, it was Remember? a marriage equality protest in front of Kay Bailey Hutchison's office on Central Expressway. So that was 2010-ish. 
Yeah, 2010 is when we met on Valentine's Day, which first boyfriend from college we met on Valentine's Day. <laughs> um, boyfriend number two who I was with for 14 years, his birthday was two days before Valentine's Day. Um, wow. Boyfriend after that, his birthday was four days before Valentine's Day. <laughs> so Brian never wanted to celebrate Va Valentine's Day as our anniversary because I shared it with too many other people. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, who makes you laugh? Um, Jeremy, my current partner. Mm -hmm. That's always good. He makes me laugh. He's very funny. He's, he's a great sense of humor. Yeah, he does. And you have a you have fantastic humor and so quick. He does, but he's he's like the deliverer, and that's why I asked who makes you laugh because you make everyone else laugh. You've got the little smart ass comments, and you got those skills as a writer. I'd never be smart. But it's one of those. <laughs> yeah. But it's kind of like you know who makes Jerry Seinfeld laugh? Who makes you laugh? And so aside from your partner, is there, you know, what what pushes your funny button? You know, the three of us here in the studio make me laugh. Yeah. And we have some long-running jokes on this show. Yeah. Um, many, many long ones. Uh, one of which is, you know, like, who's hot and who's not. Mm -hmm. and that was one of the funnest shows we've ever done. Or uh, Charo, when she was on and talked about being uh, in on the Castro uh -huh. And she was just walking down the street, and one of the bars was having a Charo lookalike contest, so she, she entered, entered of course. and lost. And she lost. <laughs> she <Yeah>. lost. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, that's priceless. We need to have her on again. We haven't had her on in quite a while. Uh -huh. We should. Yeah. So, um, and it's funny, just an observation, <laughs> is there are so many people that are in my world right now that we can measure time by what protests were you at and when. You know, can't measure time by then. Well, there was a whole Dr. Laura era. Uh -huh. and, yeah. You know, there yeah. was, you know, so, AIDS, HIV activism. With all that's going on right now, it, it's crazy chaotic. And, you know, people have been asking, like, when you did today, you said, how are you doing? It's like, well, you know, okay-ish. Because my, my personal life is fine, but my professional life of, you know, advocacy, and, you know, my world is I'm trying to put together trainings and write slide decks and talk to people and things, and my phone sitting next to me all day is, bzz, uh, drag outlawed in Tennessee, bzz, transgender healthcare outlawed in Missouri, bzz, transgender healthcare outlawed in uh, South Dakota, bzz, Florida now wants to apply the death penalty to God knows what. And it's just this constant drumbeat of horrible things. I mean, we are under assault like never before. And so trying to set that aside and get away from it is really, really hard. Um, how do you, how do you self-care and to try and set that aside at least for a little while? Because it's hard. It is. It's hard. And I, and I, I think that's a great question because we do need to take care of ourselves. And it's really, it, it's really easy um, to take to take all of it very personally, mm -hmm. and how can you not when they're targeting you, you specifically? And I th I think what I've been able to do over time, and maybe maybe David could speak to this, or maybe it's something you've experienced too, um, is is to to tune it out. And I've done a lot of teaching over the years, and so I've been hit with a lot of negative comments and 
negativity and and outright animus and mm -hmm. hatred yeah to personally like to my face um, but I think there's a there's a point where you have to disconnect from it and say what that tells me about you as a person and you you're saying this to me in this way it's more about you than it is about me absolutely and to remember that at all times and then I think I come full circle and I do take it personally and I don't try to disconnect myself from that mm -hmm. I know that it's pain but I don't I do take it personally but I don't feel it as the pain it is where's your refuge my refuge yeah. um, probably being home with Aaron and our dogs yeah. we you know we've had a lot of dog when we got together we had like three dogs and four cats <laughs> and it was a you know, menagerie, and yeah, we're a three-dog family. <laughs> we have two dogs now, and it's by attrition. Yeah. You know, we've we've come different places, and they're always rescues, of course. Yeah, and um, I I think I I find great solace in being with them. Ours is a rescue. They rescued me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. David. One cat. Yeah. It was Brian's cat, and when Brian died, I've never seen an animal mourn like this one did uh he saw us trying to revive brian he uh -huh. saw the paramedics carry his body out the door when i walked back in at about midnight that night and i was alone that cat let out a scream like i've never heard from an animal Oh my God. They know. And, oh he's the one who stood guard over brian's body till i got home um well, for a week, he wouldn't come out from under the bed other than to eat a little bit. Uh, and then for a month, he'd come out only to survey the apartment. He'd walk the perimeter of the apartment yeah. and just crying. And when I say crying, it was a meow, meow, uh, 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 like that. Oh, poor baby. Well, finally, one day, and this is several months after uh, Brian died, this cat had never learned his name, but I was channeling Brian, and Brian used to call the cat up on the um, uh, up on the bed by going by tapping one two three four five six seven cats, uh -huh. yeah, and just call up up up, and I called, and the cat came to me. <laughs> so the cat's name is up up up. The cat's name is up up up. That's who knew. <laughs> I didn't know. It took me that long to figure out what he knew his name to be. If I'd tap, though, just five times or three times, he'd look around like, oh, is there another cat here? <laughs> He'll still, to this day, only come when it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Wow. Well, so really, so, it's an uh, pup pup yeah, for a maybe. cat. You know. Now, I know we're close to time. Yeah, we're almost out of time. I do want to ask, if Ann Richards was alive today seeing this, what, would, what do you think she'd have to say? Oh, I think she'd call... <laughs> Call major mm -mm, mm -hmm. about what's going on, yeah. Because she could see right through what was, yeah, unlike some of our poli politicians even now, yeah. Uh, she she could see right through this for what it is. It's hate. Uh, and the last question for each of you: What gives you hope? Uh, when I was down at the Capitol a few weeks ago, uh, there were there was a hearing going on for one showed of the up. yeah, and twenty eight hundred trans and allies showed up to, uh, and signed up to speak against the bill that the building was packed because 
a hearing room holds a hundred people. Yeah. The building was packed with trans people just wandering the halls, carrying trans flags. One Republican said, this is worse than January 6th. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> so at least they scared the mm out of them. That's a good thing. So. I think um, young people, mm-hmm. today in Gen Z, one in five, 20.8% yeah. identify as LGBTQ. And, and 10% for millennials. And I, th- I think it's, they give me great hope. They're, they're angry in the right ways. And, and they voted. And they vote, and they vote, and they're, they're against all the gun violence and the deaths of their peers. Mm-hmm. They want change, and they're going to bring it. And I have great hope that they will help shepherd us to a better place. Great. Well, thank you so much for this Thank you for having us. kind of show. It was a <laughs> well, pleasure having you Thank you for you having on. us, Leslie. Uh, who, are, who are the guests next week? <laughs> um, to be confirmed. Yes. TBA. All right, then. Well, thank you. This was wonderful. Thanks for doing that, Leslie. Thank you. This is great.